Hello and welcome back to the new American left. Uh, we are still doing our transmissions from the bunker as the revolution intensifies around us. But first I wanted to just address where I've been. It's been about a five-month hiatus or so, um, and there's a good reason for that. My wife and I were lucky to welcome our first child, and it has been joyful and exhausting and life-changing and all, all the good things associated with that, but it didn't leave a lot of time for podcasting initially. But happy to report, I am back, um, definitely looking forward to 2021. Already have a bunch of good stuff coming down the pipe here. We're going to be doing some excellent episodes on activism with great interviews coming up, so just stay tuned. Um, but, you know, that's just want to give you an explanation where we, where I was, where everybody was, and uh, thank you for sticking with me on Twitter and hanging out, but it's time to get back to the episodes, right? So, let's just jump right out on the attack on the Capitol, and... Uh, as many of my friends and family have pointed out to me over the past week or so, uh, that I had said something like this was going to happen. Now, I openly admit I'd been saying it for longer than any real rational person would be. I've been yelling for 15 years or so about the concern of the GOP becoming fascists. And at that point, I could understand people not listening to me, but you know, it doesn't take a profit to see that this stuff was coming, and particularly in the last, say, five years. So, you know, beyond sort of fringe weirdos like myself, there's been a lot more people screaming it for the past five years. And somehow we still pretended that this was a surprise. So that is where it gets a little bit unforgivable for me. It's like this is, we've been, you know, screaming at the top of our lungs that this was coming and their only real response to any of it was to sort of just lean back and rely on the systems in place and don't worry the cops will arrest them and I think and I hope that the veil is starting to be lifted here a bit like we see what's going on things are more nuanced than this as the reports, you know, emerge of more and more law enforcement officers, military personnel involved in this attack on the Capitol, I think liberals are waking up to the fact that their Pollyanna version of America isn't exactly what they thought it was. And just maybe President Bartlett isn't real. So I think they're starting to put that together, though liberals have let me down in the past. So... I don't hold out eternal hope for that. It should be obvious, though. It should be obvious that Republican lawmakers, past and present, were complicit in yesterday's attack. They encouraged it. Democrats were wholly unprepared for it. And basically ignored warnings from anti-fascists for, as I was saying, let's call it to be fair, five years. It has been longer than that. But for the past five years, people have been yelling pretty loudly that something like this was coming. And, and most importantly, it's not over. This isn't the type of thing that, you know, they're not going to do this and then turn around and be like, well, I guess it just didn't work. 
you know. <laughs> I and then, well, I guess we'll just go home. You know, we'll try for the midterms. You know, I think you need to appreciate what's going on. You know, there's there's a legitimate right wing militant movement, and that is broken up into a few things. That that includes fascists. That includes extreme con- Christian conservatives. That includes full-blown neo-Nazis. That includes the QAnon madness, which we think I'll talk about later because that is the biggest X factor in this whole thing. But it, it includes all of these people who have wanted to militarily take back the government for some time. I mean, they yell it in your face. It's not like something they speak about in code. So the question to me is, have they just learned a valuable lesson for them that they don't need Donald Trump anymore? And if they don't need Donald Trump anymore, my fear is that those extreme right-wing MAGA people who maybe wouldn't be classified as full-blown fascist yet, if they go looking for the real thing, you know, a leader who will follow through, will they view Trump as a bit of a charlatan who led them on but they want the real thing now and who's waiting in the wings to give them that leadership and that ability to win the victory that they all want and that's true fascism that's the fascists in america the neo-nazis the actual fascist groups the extreme fringe will now be leading these people this is my concern So I don't think the attack on the Capitol was anything more than a dress rehearsal for something that's going to be much worse down the line. And I feel like they're not going to want to lose this time. I'm not entirely sure they feel like they lost this time. I think they made the statement they were looking for, but they know now that they need to go further. And that is a scary thought. And it should be. The answer to this in the Democrats' eyes, is Joe Biden. And that fills me with great concern. The last time we had a fascist movement in this country was pre-World War II, the America First. Uh, Charles Lindbergh was associated with it. You've probably heard of it, movement. There was Nazi Bunds in America, funded by the Nazi Party. There was a strong Nazi movement. You'll often hear they held a rally at Madison Square Garden and sold it out and All of that is true. Now, the thing I'm trying to say, though, is that at that time was exceptionally difficult economical times on the working class, right? Whenever that happens, it creates a bunch of pressure and drives the working class usually into left-wing movements and drives the bourgeoisie middle-class folks into hard right-wing movements, fascism. So... The thing that stopped that pressure builder was sweeping legislation like the New Deal. It wasn't perfect. Everybody knows that. We can fight about the New Deal. I'm open to fighting about FDR. I'm not an FDR stan. But I will say that removing that pressure took the wind out of both the hardcore left-wing movements and also fascism at the same time, probably averting a conflict at that time. Now... If you want to argue whether that was a good or a bad thing, I'm open to hearing both sides of that. But I can also tell you that 
the point here is we have a rising fascist movement now that is more mainstream and more widespread than it was then. The only thing then that took the pressure out of it was sweeping legislation like the New Deal and FDR. Do we think Joe Biden is capable of doing something equivalent? I would say the answer is decidedly no. So if we have a fascist movement in America that is further mainstream now, more successful, more violent and widespread, and our answer to it is less than the answer that has worked in the past, what's going to happen? So I think we're starting to see the beginning of that. And that reality is something we have to confront. So that's why I don't mean, I'm not saying we need a new New Deal. I'm not saying whatever. I'm not coming out. I'm just saying if you want this thing to stop without a violent end, you need to do at least the New Deal on steroids. Do you think we're going to do that? So maybe we should prepare for the violence. These calls for unity in light of things that have just happened. Well, you know, one thing AOC had said recently this week, and I certainly have my disagreements with her, but one thing that I did agree with was you cannot even begin to talk about unity without accountability. And it doesn't strike me that anyone in Democratic leadership is really serious about accountability. They're pretty serious about, you know, performative unity and things that make it look like our systems are actually in good shape and nothing's falling apart here. This is fine, dot gif. But, you know, I think it's time to kind of, you know, I always sort of skirt around this thing. Like throughout the history of the podcast, I was listening to old podcasts and I'm always saying like, you know, yeah, we got to be, well, you know, what just happened at the Capitol is a slap in the face. And if you don't see it for what it is, you deserve what's next. And what's next is bad. It is violent. It is killing. We cannot just pull unity out of thin air. People feel like in human history that, you know, if you talk to these modern day pundits and liberal thinkers, it's as if we solved all problems either pre-1968 they're all fine now that <laughs> every problem since then we don't use violence to solve it's never worked this idea that violence is somehow abhorrent and has never been used for anything useful is delusional at some point you can't compromise with people who want to kill you and that's what the fascists want to do if you listen to their rhetoric they hate they hate you they hate everybody. They want their country back. They want to build their American Christian utopia that's pretty white, I might add. Unless you behave right, then maybe we'll let you in. Call fascist. And do you think they're going to build this new empire non-violently? Do you think they're just going to listen to you if you vote against them? I mean... What is the resistance? Where is it? 
because if it's only this performative voting nonsense, like I don't understand. It, it, it does not compute for me. These people are bringing violence to your home. They will be. It is their goal. But, and do you stand idly by in the name of not being bothered? You know, I don't want my life disrupted. Uh, I, I'm afraid. I mean, fear is legitimate. Like, feel fear. Like, fear, fear should be real right now. This is a scary time. But don't hide behind this isn't us. Because this isn't us is a shield. It's this notion that you know, we just lost control of something that used to be fine. It wasn't fine. If you felt like it was fine, then it was fine for you. I've been there. It was fine for me growing up. You know, if you feel that, it's not illegitimate. I'm not saying you're responsible. I'm saying that it wasn't fine, though, at the time. And the more not fine it becomes to you, the more aware you're becoming. And the closer you look, like, I'm not Alex Jones. I'm not, like, trying to sell you something. I'm not trying to lie. Like, just go look. Go look at, go research this, the history of this country, you know, fairly and objectively. And show me where the myth is real. Our history will let you down if you hold it to an unreasonable mythical standard. So don't accept it for what it is. This is a flawed country at best. Most states are. We have a lot of problems. None of them go away when Joe Biden comes into office. These are problems that didn't arrive in 2016. They are long-standing problems. I had this fight the other day with a conservative, old conservative friend. If you don't see how the fight in the 60s relates to the fight today, then you're missing it. These aren't separate episodes. This is a one long-running arc that goes all the way back to the founding of the country. You need to see it that way to understand it's systemic. We need to change it systemically to fix it. There's no ignoring it and it just evolves and gets better. It's corrosive. That's the problem with this isn't us. It is us, except it. It is us. This is what we're dealing with. You know why? Because the rest of the world deals with it. This isn't us is this American exceptionalism nonsense. This like, well, oh, here everything is good and it's not like out there where things are barbaric. It's ridiculous. It reeks of late stage Rome, which is hilarious. But it's ridiculous. If we want to save anything, we got to let that go. This is us. This is what we're dealing with. Now we need to react to this. I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, how comfortable and delusional were we that we ignored these obvious signs for this long? We were all complicit, myself included. 
But in order to see that, we got to go back before 2016. You know, I was talking about the large sweeping arc of history, you know, how this goes all the way back to the founding of the country. But what about in our lifetimes? You know, I'm 38, going to be 39 soon. So what about in our lifetimes? So people listening to this, I think, are, you know, roughly my age or a little younger, a little older. But in our lifetimes, we have to understand this went back before 2016. You know, we were more than happy in the 2000s to let the Bush administration start this process in earnest. And yet the best we could offer was the Daily Show and Colbert Report, sort of snarkily, you know, jabbing them at every turn. And we, we turned them into fools you know, we made them. We made them dumb. We made them idiots. And I think at the time, hey, I mean, I bought into that as hard as anybody. I, I, I loved every second of it. I thought it was brilliant satire, and you know, this is how you how you speak truth to power is through satire. And I look back at that and it's just so naive, you know, so naive. The Bush administration was absolutely walking down this authoritarian path. Patriot Act alone, the way they behaved, the illegal wars, the weapons of mass destruction. I mean, do we forget all of this? We just forget all of it, right? It just didn't happen. Because now that is, you can see where the Republicans were marching down the authoritarian path. Now, the response to them marching down the authoritarian path is where liberals have failed. The Obama response. Obama campaigned as what sounded like a, a viable response. But in reality, he did exactly what we're about to do again, which is the, this is in us, unity, we're looking forward, faith in our institutions. And when you don't bring these people to account, then they're just going to get you next time. And they're just going to learn and get smarter and more dangerous. It's uh, the liberal response to the clear rising tide of fascism is disappointingly similar to the original rise of fascism and the Weimar liberal response. I'd encourage everybody to read The Death of Democracy if you want to really pull your hair out of your head. Uh, can't recommend that book enough. You know, we were happy to live in a world where large-scale state violence would never touch us. And we were self-satisfied in the fact that we were liberal and we were on the right side of history. Now, let's all be honest. I think that applies to a lot of us, particularly if you go back to that time frame I'm talking about, that mid-2000s. You know, we were confident that our side, quote-unquote, was doing the right thing that, you know, they were in charge and they were working in good faith to bring about change for the people of the country. I mean, I think we all realize that to not be true now and the extent to which you want to continue to put faith in those institutions is up to you. But, I mean, I remember I actually attended the Rally to Restore Sanity, which... 
at the time made sense, and even looking back on the name of that thing is just atrocious. And you have 300,000 people, biggest crowd I've ever been in, hands down, who all turned out because they agreed that something had gone horribly wrong in our government and society. But the best that we could come up with was to be nice to each other and here's the guys from Mythbusters. Hey. I mean, that's cool. I guess. I mean, uh, I did get to see Yusuf Islam. That was neat. <laughs> but other than that, I don't know what we did for... And now I think about, like, protests and stuff that I've been to over the past couple of years. And the idea of getting 300,000 people to do something, and we couldn't even come up with a good reason why. And now it's like you struggle to get a few thousand people who are ultra committed to something. It's, it's, we're a big mixed up bag in this country right now where we, we know something's wrong. We absolutely do not have the will to do anything about it. And that is what's killing us currently. The truth is that we don't have a hard left. And this is what Europe knows and everybody else outside of us. But we don't have a hard left. I mean, we we are starting to form one. I mean, obviously, I know people who I would consider hard left. But I mean, on the, the grand scale, and particularly 15 years ago, we just don't have a large enough hard left to oppose these forces. We rely too much on the systems that these forces have long ago corrupted. Or, you know, as the police, they were built with the corruption in them from the beginning. So... We have this long, you know, generational problem, and we have no answer to it. And when the equation starts to become dangerous, which is where we're at now, where the people who want to hurt you control the mechanisms that are also supposed to protect you, and you don't have a hard left resistance, well, you're, we're wide open. We're going to fail we will capitulate to fascists and we will do what they say out of fear if we don't develop a hard left. And I mean, I'm talking about people who want to go toe to toe with these people. I'm talking about self-defense. I'm talking about community defense. I'm talking about being willing to put yourself on the line. This is a different level than what liberals have been trying over the past 20 years. We're not talking about knitting pink hats here. Sorry. We're talking about resistance. Actual resistance. Not a hashtag. Not a t-shirt. Not a goddamn children's book. We're talking about resistance. Okay? How do we build that? And it's serious. So... If you find yourself looking at the attack on the Capitol being like, I am lost, I don't know what to do, I no longer trust anything, good. Because now you're in a great position to go find your local activists who also feel that way, and you guys can build community defense together. I mean, are we going to be fighting over Jimmy Dore and AOC and forcing the vote and not forcing the vote and... All kinds of dumb ass Twitter beefs 
when the fascists are like driving around, you know, hurting people, killing people. I mean, is this the the shit we're gonna waste our time on? I I haven't even talked about Jimmy Dore and AOC because I don't fucking care. I want Medicare for all. Forcing the vote, I think, is a fine idea. I don't give a shit about Jimmy Dore. He's a Syria denier. Fuck him. Uh, I don't give a shit about your Twitter clout of fighting Jimmy Dore. I don't give a shit about any of that, to be perfectly frank. I think Jimmy Dore is a blowhard who happens to be on the right side of an issue. Uh, I think AOC is a well-meaning liberal who isn't the leftist everybody is trying to pretend she is. So stop trying to hold her to a standard that she isn't and never promised to be. So, you know, I'm not even criticizing her. She is who she said she was. I'm not, like, overly concerned with that. Jimmy Dore's an asshole. If you're spending all your time fighting over Jimmy Dore's tone and all this other nonsense, you're wasting your time. There's a war coming. Yes, we need Medicare for all. But if we have a fascist government by the time we can implement that, I promise you, they're not going to care. <laughs> so, like, I, I mean, this is my point. It's like, yes, of course we need Medicare for all. But I think we have pretty pressing issues coming down the pipe here where Medicare for all might not matter. My two cents on the Jimmy Dore AOC nonsense. What is the reality of our future? You know, what What are we facing here? I feel like I spent a couple of seasons on this, you know, trying to tell you, and maybe I wasn't, like, forceful enough, you know, or realistic enough, or I didn't want to come across as insane, and maybe I just don't care anymore. I don't know. <laughs> but I think the reality of our future is two, two divergent paths here, none of which are peaceful, I might add. Um... But I think we got basically a, a decision to make here as a left, and I'll include the liberals for the purpose of this exercise, as a left body politic that includes liberals, dem so, social dems, uh, anarchists, communists, Marxists, Leninists, whatever, everything in between, all of us. We have, we have a, a problem coming up. We're either going to have to go out and face these people in overwhelming numbers, sort of like a Battle of Cable Street, but on a much larger scale. And for those who don't know, the Battle of Cable Street was in 1936 when Oswald Mosley and his group of fa uh, British fascists were going to lead a large march through the Jewish quarter of town in East London. Prior to the march, anarchists and communist organizers got the Jewish uh, neighborhood and the Irish dock workers to commit to opposing the march, and hundreds of thousands of anti-fascist protesters turned out in the streets and more or less beat the tar out of the police and the fascists as they tried to come through their neighborhood. This shattered the British fascist movement, and it did not really raise its ugly head again in probably until the 80s. But, point being, in America right now, I think we are either at a point where we need to turn out in the hundreds of thousands like the Rally to Restore Sanity, like the Women's March, and oppose these people in overwhelming force. And if they get mouthy, we beat the tar out of them in the street until they go away. That's the truth. I know you don't want to hear it, but it's true. That's the good version. Because if we don't do that, 
I think what we end up with is Belfast, 1972, but with a population of 300 million people. Maybe more modern would be the Syrian civil war, but here. And what I mean is that we're not talking about the blue and the gray here. We're not talking about um, Republicans and Democrats. We're talking about like a seven-sided conflict of bizarre, disparate groups constantly fighting each other, revenge killing, you know, ambush killings, guerrilla tactics, total fucking bedlam. That's what I think the other option is eventually going to be. Because there isn't enough unity on one side or another to actually, you know, create two sides to this thing. I mean, between like the the actual fascist neo-Nazi groups, the sort of conservative fascist groups, the more purely MAGA groups, the Boogaloo boys, and then the militias who are usually right-wing and chutterific for sure, but definitely have a little wiggle nuance in them too where they could end up fighting some of the other fascist groups somehow. You see my point here is that things get complicated quickly, particularly in America. Break it down along ideological lines, along racial lines, along, you know, gang lines, whatever you want. Out, you know, widespread conflict in America would be historical, to say the least. It would be something I don't think like we've seen. And I don't think it would be Mad Maxian either. You know, I think that's important. I think, you know, one of the things that always strikes me when you read like modern civil war accounts, particularly Ukraine, Syria, you know, et cetera, is just how much of life will continue. I think that's going to be disarming for a lot of people. Like you very likely will be going to work still. <laughs> you will be going to restaurants, assuming the goddamn plague ever ends. But you, you will, life will continue to a certain extent while this intense violence rages sort of in the background. Um, that, I think, is a more realistic nightmare for us. And it's closer than further away. You see, to me, the fascism is, is formulaic. It's an equation. It's a chemical composition. If we put these elements together in our society, fascism is the result. And the way you've seen the right wing drift in this country particularly over the last 30 years, and you watch the way liberals chase them, that dynamic is always going to push us into fascism. It's just what it is. It's almost unavoidable, particularly if you just keep making the same mistakes in the equation. So that I just see as imminent. You know, that's coming. The thing that actually scares me... <laughs> because I'm not overly afraid of that. I've been preparing for it forever. But the thing that really worries me is QAnon. Because I am interested in cults. You know, I'm, I, I'm one of those people. Not, I'm, I want to understand them. Like I'm, I'm fascinated that you can get people to believe in these things. I'm just, the process through which people become indoctrinated is a fascinating thing to me. And QAnon scares the shit out of me. <laughs> and the reason is, you know, one of the things that 
you know, it's great. You know, like it was, even with Netflix these days, there's so many like cult documentaries. Anybody can just start diving in. But that one of the things that um, unifies, particularly these older cults, you know, that I I started my fascination reading about the you know Heaven's Gate and um, Branch Davidians and um, you know Jonestown and uh, you know all all of these different cults. It, it was always fascinating to me that they always had to put in such legwork. You know, you had to literally, like, go out there, recruit people to their cult. You had to put in time. You know, this was a, this was a process, and they always had, it was, you know, they were incredible people manip manipulators, and they were, you know, uh, L. Ron Hubbard is a good example. These people who were, you'd be enraptured by them. They had, like, a spell over you, right? It was interesting. But it also sort of helped limit it to a certain degree because you had to physically put in that legwork to get it done. QAnon is insane to me. It spreads at the speed of the internet. You have to put the the Q and the people running it or whatever you want to call it almost have no real life presence and they speak in utter riddles so you can't ever pin them down on anything. It is like shockingly scary. Because these cults always want to bring about their prophecy. It's like their goal is to have the prophecy, right? To have it come true, to make this investment that they made in their life and the sacrifices and all the people they lost along the way, to make this all worth it. And usually that ends up with like a mass suicide or something because they're, they're trying to prove it. But she was so huge and the stakes are so high within the cult you know, that you have people believing that there's an Illuminati running everything in the world and eating children's adrenal glands. And like, it is so goddamn insane to me that I don't know what they're capable of. So like the fascism thing is like, yeah, I know that's coming and I know it's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. I don't know if I'll survive. I don't know who will survive. But the QAnon thing is like the complete unknown the completely volatile, combustible insanity. And we are just a society full of matches. <laughs> so, whew, yeah. What do you do about that one? So as you can see, I'd say we are facing some pretty serious challenges in the coming years. Nothing will fix itself when Joe Biden comes into office. And we are in for quite a summer. And that reminds me of something that I sing to my child every night, something that was always sung to me, and something that rings true in every Irish revolutionary's heart. And I think it really applies to us now. So to all my American left friends out there, I think we should heed the warnings of Patrick Pierce leader of the 1916 rebellion, when he penned the words, and nishar takt hun Oh, you are welcome home. Oh, 
you are welcome home. Oh, you are welcome home. And now comes the summer.